0: Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Albom, and today I'm joined by Taylor Lote, founder of NT Capital. And Taylor's gonna be talking to us today about syndications and how to spot some of the not so great actors out there and who syndications may and may not be for as an investor goes. So let's get into it. Taylor, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for coming on and hanging out with me today. I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to uh to talk with you.
1: No, likewise. Likewise. So, I know a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing, but for those of our audience members that don't know who you are, give us the quick and dirty. Who you are, where do you come from, and what is it you're doing in real estate today?
0: Sure, absolutely. I'm a real estate investor based in Richmond, Virginia. Decided to make the switch to real estate investing a number of years ago. I don't even honestly remember exactly when, but uh, had been investing in, in Wall Street, you know, typical things for a few years. You know, at the time, it was kind of hard to pick and, and miss on Wall Street because I was yeah. right in the uh, wake of the Great Recession. But I just saw real estate as a, a better opportunity to create passive income. And then, you know, here we are.
1: Awesome. And now today, you've got a company, NT Capital. Talk to us a little bit about what it is that you all do.
0: Sure, absolutely. So it's part of my real estate syndication investing. So basically, I help people passively invest in real estate syndications, got the securities licenses and everything to do that and, and help sponsors raise capital in a compliant manner, of course, and um, you know help people, as I say on my podcast, escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street
1: by investing in real estate. Love it. And what is your podcast called for anyone that wants to go check it out?
0: Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. It's the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, available every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. New episodes, interviews, uh, just like this one.
1: Right on. So it's a common debate that we have, passive versus active real estate investing. So love for you to wear your your passive hat because you've done both, right? You've been on the active side and now you're on the passive side. So why why did you end up there?
0: So- That's an interesting question. So I'm a little bit in a in a hybrid state right now, to be honest with you. But you know, I think most people when they start real estate investing, honestly, myself, you know, included in this, our familiarity with real estate kind of is limited to flips, which we see on HGTV, and buying single family rentals, and you know, the one up the street and and rent it out. There's nothing inherently wrong with either one of those, but the reality is that. Both of those strategies take a lot more work than we really think they do from the outside. Now, if you buy a single-family rental, you put use a property manager. You can turn that into passive income over time if you kind of do it the right way and buy at the right price and all those kinds of things. Flipping itself is a very active business, and after learning about both of those and most of the other real estate investing strategies, uh, when I was kind of getting started. I just really gravitated toward commercial real estate, larger properties. I honestly don't know what it is. Maybe it's aesthetic. Maybe I just, uh, I like to, to think big, just get really excited about big things. But when you're buying, a, you want to buy a $15 million property. Well, you know, I don't want to say too much about myself here, but I don't have all the money for that down payment. I can't put all that money down. And I, I never could, right? When I was just a guy out of college trying to figure out my way in real estate, so eventually, I found this path through real estate syndication. I had money saved up from investing in, in Wall Street, and you know, I didn't did did right in that, uh, but wanted to make this shift and started passively investing in real estate syndications with my eye on getting on the more active side of things. And now I do both, and you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, you know have this be my investing strategy. And I love it.
1: Love it. Well, give us some insights into who real estate syndication investing is for and who's maybe not a great candidate to be an investor in a syndication.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, my mind first goes to and this is most of my investors are high-earning, busy professionals who maybe have a family. They have a job that they work 40-60 plus hours a week, make a lot of money and maybe have some leisure activities. Just want to earn some passive income but don't want to build their own real estate investing business on the side, uh, they want to maybe, like I said, I say this a lot, I harp on this, get out of the Wall Street casino and, and invest in real estate, then that may be a good fit. Because if you're somebody who earns a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, then you have to, th- I think you should think about what your time is worth in terms of dollars per hour and where you can best allocate your time, because time is our most finite resource. And I, I was kind of debated whether I was going to say this, but today, we're recording today, is my 33rd birthday. And I'm always thinking about the the uh, shortness of life, I guess, if you will. And I think yeah. from your investing standpoint, you should think about that. We all only have 24 hours in the day. If you do really well in your career, then bear that in mind when you're considering an investing strategy that could kind of be another job, like, like maybe flipping is often another job for folks. Uh, more active investors. Again, you know, I love active investing. You need to be ready to put the work in. It's it's a lot of work to invest in real estate, find deals and do deals, especially today when interest rates are going up and prices are at all time highs, and we're seeing some uh, softening in the retail market in particular. Which, you know, we have to kind of uh, we have to work with the the market that we're given and we find ourselves in. So, you know, if you're willing to put the work in, I say go for it. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I like putting the work in on on my deals and everything, Uh, but really just think about your time, how you want to spend your time and and what your time is worth for you, both in terms of what you want it to be worth, but also what it is actually worth. If you're working, what are you getting paid now? And think about that for your real estate investing.
1: Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. I think it's a really great way to to be thinking about things. Well, first and foremost, Taylor, happy birthday. Thanks for taking the time (laughs) out of your birthday day to to hang out with me. This is awesome.
0: It's my favorite thing to do, so no problem. Right
1: on. Well, give us a little bit of insight into how you coach your investors or how you coach folks to think about the returns and the return on their time. Because I think that makes a ton of sense in thinking about, okay, how much is your time worth? But I can pretty clearly calculate Okay, if I buy this property as an active owner, this is what my return is going to be. This is what my cash on cash is going to be. This is what my hopeful eventual exit price might look like. Versus if I give it to a syndicator, like it's in your hands. And if they screw up, well, then that, that's a bummer for me, but I don't have control over that. So are the returns going to be stronger as, with the syndicator? Are they going to be not as enticing, but I don't have to do as much work? Kind of give us an insight into how people should be thinking about that.
0: Sure, of course, I want to be careful what I say in this regards, and you know, every deal is different, and
1: of course,
0: you know, past results are not an indication of uh, you know future performance and all those kinds of things. You know, in my experience, both in an active real estate investment, if you're doing your own deals or investing in a real estate syndication, either of those strategies can do very well, and either of one, either one of them can lose a lot of money. I think it's a it's a matter of weighing pros and cons, and to kind of get back to the question about if somebody's considering if passive versus active makes sense to them. If you're somebody you can't imagine giving control of your money or your investment over to a syndicator, no matter how experienced they are, maybe they have several thousand units under their belt and several billion dollars in assets under management, but still you can't get past it. Well, hey, that's a sign, you know, and that's your priority. That's your decision to make. It's your money. It's your financial future. Go for it. You know, I think that this spectrum when we're talking in a general sense about the returns that you can make, you know, it's, it's a little tough to be specific about that. Either type of deal can make money. Either type of deal can lose money. I think some of the other things to consider is if you're going and buying a, a single family up the street, getting the debt in your own name and those kinds of things, well, you're, you're on the hook for the debt as the investor. And if you're willing to do that, hey, great, no problem. Most real estate syndications, however, which use debt, set it up and the lenders set it up so that the passive investors are not personally guaranteeing the debt. So their risk of loss is limited to their initial investment, their equity that they invested in the deal. So yeah, your potential downside is your investment can absolutely go to zero. Of course, we always want to be cognizant of that and the risk in our investments. But if you're not on the hook for the debt, then hey, you're not on the hook for the debt. Now somebody is on the hook for the debt and that's what you want. One of many things you want to look into in a real estate syndication. Who's guaranteeing the debt? How are our interests aligned that, hey, we all want this deal to perform, and if it goes wrong, it's going to be worse for, say, the general partners who are guaranteeing the debt? Those are things we want to think about. But again, debt is a big factor in real estate investments, and it's one of the risks that, as a passive investor in a syndication, you can kind of take off the table for yourself and
1: the general partner or a key principal or somebody else will uh, guarantee the debt. That's a really interesting point that I want to come back to. But since you were describing the person that really can't give up control, I think that's me. In a lot of instances, <laughs> I'm a recovering engineer. And so I like to engineer the crap out of things. But I'm just curious, have you come across people that like really want that high degree of control, but also invest in the stock market?
0: That's an interesting question. And I think, yes, I, I think we Maybe we've been kind of trained or programmed or maybe it's the way that media talks or something, but we think that when we're buying a portfolio of stocks, hey, I have the control because I get to hit the buy and sell button, which is true. You do get right. to do that, but there are many other factors that are outside of your control, and when I – was really heavily investing in the stock market. I got I got my props here, my books. Uh, this is the first book I read about investing, The Intelligent Investor. It's incredibly thick. I only read it once.
1: It looks like a it's dictionary. It's huge. It's a
0: ginormous book. But you know, it kind of drove me toward index investing, because I learned through this book, Benjamin Graham, and it's uh, Warren Buffett's strategy as well, that I, I can't pick stocks. And I honestly, I tried a couple of times, and I always lost out on it. I'm no good as a stock picker. But I think that having that buy and sell button really gives us the the feeling that we do have a lot of control. And and you do get that amount of control. You can buy and sell. But you can't control the fluctuations of the market. You can't control the positive or negative decisions that the executives might make or, you know, kind of anything
1: along right, the lines. Right. It always cracks me up when people talk about, yeah, I got so much control. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, stop kidding yourself. All right. So let's talk about leverage for a minute, because I think you bring up a really good point. And it's interesting to know that the general partner is usually going to be on the hook for for the leverage, for for the debt rather, and that it stops with the limited partner. But talk to me a little bit about how people think about debt to invest. So what I mean by that is if I want to go buy a $100,000 single family home, I can go bring 20 grand to the table and get an $80,000 mortgage. Now I control a $100,000 an asset and the appreciation I see is going to be on that $100,000 mm-hmm. number. Versus if I want to go to a syndication, can I go get a loan from that same bank and say hey, I want to put $100,000 into this syndication?
0: Uh, no. And frankly if the if I were, you know, in the general partner seat in that case and I found out that somebody was taking a taking out a loan to invest in the equity portion, it may or may not be technically legal for me to accept that money but it would not be wise for me to accept that money because if things aren't going to plan which can happen in a real estate deal of any kind then you're going to be in a personally difficult position and that's going to flow to me and it's going to be still going to be my problem and i'm just going to have to deal with that so it wouldn't be wise for the general partner or the limited partner to do that and i think i should clarify what i previously said is there are multiple types of real estate debt at a high level? There's recourse and non recourse, where recourse means you're personally on the hook for the money. A lot of syndication deals and commercial real estate deals will use non recourse debt where the general partner, while they're kind of they're putting up guarantees and they're agreeing to behave well, they're not technically on the hook to repay the debt. But there are so many carve outs to that. So in the sense that if the general partner misbehaves or doesn't act in a, in a certain manner, then the bank you know, it just reverts and it becomes recourse debt anyway. So those are important things to consider, but I wanted to make sure to uh, clarify that point.
1: No, that's a great point to clarify. So talk to us, Taylor, about this specific scenario. You got a landlord, they own five single family homes and they did the active investing and they're kind of done. They're tired. But because of what's happened over the last couple of years, they've seen their equity go through the roof. And they're thinking, you know what? I kind of want to get into this whole passive thing. I heard Taylor and Michael's podcast would love to get in on one of those deals. So they cash out refi on some of those properties. So they take on new debt. Now they've got a ton of cash. Are you thinking that that's not a great time to go invest that into a syndication deal because it's technically borrowed? Or when you say take on debt is not a wise investment to go put into a a syndication deal. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: That is a good point, and that is an interesting way to reframe that question. I suppose in my mind, in the previous question, I'd kind of interpreted that as, say, I'm, I'm Taylor, I'm going to go passively invest in this deal. I call my buddy Michael, I say, hey, man, loan me X $10,000, $50,000, I'm going to go invest in this deal, and I'm going to pay you, you know, Y% percent over a certain amount of time. Well, that would yeah. be not be wise, but say if somebody's pulling debt out of properties or applying a new mortgage, cash out refining properties that they already own, I think you can make a good case for that. I think it's really, it's one of the things where if you're in that situation, you need to consider or you should consider all of the available options. So interest rates are going up right now, but historically they're still at pretty much all time lows and values are at all time highs in single families. We're seeing some softening going on, but it's not like we 're currently in the midst of a crash now I, hey, I might be wrong about that, but something to consider the way I would look at that is would I want to continue owning these properties, say for another ten years or so? Technically, I think the average mortgage is refied at seven years, but how long how much longer do I really want to own these properties you know what's my potential here? Do I still want to mess with them? what rate am I going to get on this debt? I would consider really all of those factors. There are so many other options that you, know, you can technically get 1031 exchange into a syndication if you do it properly. Now, a lot of times it may not make sense if they're fairly inexpensive properties, you're not bringing a lot of uh, equity to the table, then it's a little more difficult to 1031. But I just think you have to consider all the possibilities. And again, it's all about the individual making decisions that are right for them. If you still want to own those single families and continue to rent them out, then that is a valid way to do so and you, know, you still have real property there. And hopefully, when you do that cash out refi, you're still earning you know, strong cash flow into the future because you still need to support that new debt that you took on.
1: Great, great. And Taylor, give us some insights into what folks should be doing to screen syndicators because they're, you know, kind of like realtors. They're a dime a dozen. You see syndicators mm-hmm. all over the place doing all kinds of deals, talking about their deals are amazing. So what are, what are some kind of BS meters or red flags that people can, can help uh, raise on some of these folks?
0: That's a great question. I mean, honestly, one of my favorite things to... Uh, suggest that people do is go find other passive investors and ask them, "Who have you invested with? What's gone positively or or negatively?" It's a little different than going to a syndicator and saying, "Hey, give me a couple references." Because what kind of knucklehead's going to give you a negative reference, right? I'm, you, yeah, you're going to uh, tailor it properly, right? But if you're in that position, it, was that
1: a play on words? You're going to tailor it properly? <laughs> <I> suppose, <laughs> in a way,
0: right? No, I, <laughs> but I would, you know, it's always you do get that question and i you know give people references i things have gone well but for anybody out there in that position there are so many groups out there that are focused on passive real estate investing the left field investors are great go there and talk with those folks and ask them who have you invested with that's gone well there are a lot of other you know things you can do along the lines of background checks heck take the person's name and google them i mean it's shocking how many people won't just punch a name into Google and, you know, see what yeah. comes up. Sometimes, and this this does happen, I know of at least one case where this happens. There's uh, somebody out there who has a relatively common name. And if you Google them, somebody else's prior court case comes up. So if there's any point of clarification, there's no harm in asking. But if you're, you know, if you're already out, I'll let you, you know, make that judgment call on your own. If you want to ask them, hey, what, what happened here? Is this you? Or if you don't, then, you know, that's fine. That's up to you. Um, yeah. Those are... Definitely, things that that I would consider, I would dig into. There are also forums like Bigger Pockets you can go to. You can post, "Hey, has anybody here invested with so and so?" You know, DM me and, and let's talk about it. Search on Bigger Pockets as well. There are many threads about positive and negative ex- experiences with syndicators. Now, there's always an important factor to bear in mind that past performance is not an indicator of future results. But I think learning about people, learning about experiences, can help illuminate things like like scammers and and fraudsters because like those people are out there and you need to know how to look for them. Um I think as you if you're new in real estate syndication and passive investing really try not to feel FOMO. You can go out, mm. and get on people's deal lists and look at deals for a while. You don't need to invest in the first deal that you ever see come across your desk. If they're good and they're experienced indicators and they know what they're doing, they're going to do plenty of deals, right? And you will get a diversity, a, a diverse selection of deals in terms of asset classes, markets, you know what their maybe target returns are, everything, so that you can see, get a, a picture, a broad picture of how folks are doing deals. And I think that really is illuminating. And and just taking a pause, reminding yourself not to feel FOMO can really help prevent a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes. And I did put out a seven day course on red flags and passive real estate investing recently that people can get. That's totally free. Not everything that can go wrong in a real estate deal, because that would be an encyclopedia upon an encyclopedia of uh, right. of information. But there are high level things that if you spend enough years in this business, you'll see kind of recurring themes of things that go wrong in these types of deals.
1: Okay. That makes a ton of sense. And those are all really great resources and, and tips. Thanks for that. Curious to get your personal thoughts There's the expression, get rich in your niche or niche down and get laser focused. And so from the standpoint of syndications, if someone had a hundred grand to invest, are you thinking it makes sense to go all in on a particular deal because you love the deal and believe in that deal and that syndicator, or are you going wide with kind of a spray and pray across multiple deals?
0: So for me, uh, so just taking a step back, most of the time in real estate syndication, you'll find that a typical minimum investment is $50,000. Uh, There are a lot of reasons behind that. If you're accredited, that means it gets into the weeds, but most real estate syndications can accept an unlimited number of accredited investors, but if I say 506B syndications can only accept up to 35 non-accredited investors, so they want to allocate those spots to people who are able to invest additional capital, and where I'm going with that is they say a $50,000 minimum, but you're not quite ready for that, and you're accredited. It doesn't hurt to ask, say, hey, would you take 25? Would you take 35? Can we go a little lower? Because I'm trying to spread this out. But if I was in that position, having $100,000, I wanted to invest in real estate syndications, I would look to diversify it as much as I could because I think that's the wise decision. I was speaking with somebody recently about this. I don't want to say too much, but this person had almost a million dollars to invest. This was about a quarter of their portfolio, Uh, They had invested in Wall Street type of stuff for years and years and did very well. High income earner, very great for them. Just getting into real estate syndication, asking about, hey, how should I allocate this? What would you think about? They were looking at their second real estate syndication investment. So just getting started in the space. And their consideration was, I'm going to go 500 out of this, this portfolio that I've chosen to invest in these deals. And my thought on that is that's probably too much. I think if you're really getting into it, it makes sense to not just dive in, right? Kind of walk into the water kind of slowly so you can get again diversified across markets and asset classes and operators and all those kinds of things. And, you know, get your feet wet rather than just cannonball
1: on into the waters. Yeah. And find out later that it's two inches deep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But very possibly. I mean, you know, I've, count myself lucky to have, uh, I feel as though I've stayed away in my real estate investing career successfully from people who you might consider scammers and fraudsters. That doesn't mean you don't meet them, but you kind of find out who they are and avoid them and don't do business with them. Um, but I think the, the more patient you are kind of helps you have a better, uh, a better batting average, if you will. Maybe that's a, not the best way to put it, but I think diving in is, is the wrong you know wrong way to go, especially in a time when the market is um, you know maybe maybe become volatile uh, in the future.
1: Taylor, I'm curious, kind of in that similar vein, do you think personal Taylor's personal hot takes that having invested on the active side makes someone a better or more difficult passive investor, or does it not matter? I mean, if I'm thinking about getting started. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure maybe which one I'm thinking maybe as an active investor, I can learn the business and not have the wool pulled over my eyes as much. Or maybe I just go straight to the passive route without having to learn all of the stuff that comes along with going the active route.
0: That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure how big of it. I haven't noticed a difference, I suppose, is what I'd I'd probably say. I mean, I would say that though, regarding that one point, Being a passive investor doesn't absolve you from learning how the business works. I think it's Ah. very wise to pay attention to what the industry is saying, what what active syndicators are saying to each other, what they're out there you know talking about, and and where they learn right because you're going to learn the most about how deals work by say reading the same books as them or attending webinars or maybe going to conferences. Some people are some passive investors are willing to make that investment. Many aren't. Some of those can be very expensive, but Just as a general comment, being a passive investor doesn't get you out of learning. You still got to learn.
1: Okay. No, I love that. And I've always been preaching that, that you got to learn the fundamentals from from the get-go because who knows, you might learn that real estate investing isn't a great place for you. And I think that's important to, to be cognizant of too. So kind of, again, thinking similarly through that thought exercise, if we go back to our prior example of this, I'm the active owner. I own five single families looking to get involved in the passive side. And I'm looking at a pro forma. From a syndicator. And all I know is a single family space, right? I've purchased homes, I've done renovations on homes, done capex, that sort of thing. And I see a line item, big apartment building, 15 million, like you mentioned, and their capex reserve is 250 a door. And I'm like, no freaking way. I've been in this business. 250 is not gonna cut it, you know, it doesn't get you a stove. So how much should I be kind of nitpicking? The syndication of what I know to be true for my business versus how much of the syndication world is just so above my head and playing in a different echelon that i don't really need to be spending time picking things apart
0: so I think if you're in a situation where a number doesn't make sense to you, then uh, my opinion is you can either ask a question about it, you know clarify, maybe run your own underwriting model if you're so bold. not everybody wants to do that but at a certain point, when the math doesn't make sense to you, the assumptions don't make sense to you, then just walk away and look for the next one, because you know i I hate to sound like an old dog I've you know thirty three I've been investing in this business for for a few years now, but uh, I've seen syndicators make math mistakes that le- made a pretty significant difference uh, in the deals, and sometimes those are identified early on, sometimes they're a little you know higher profile, but if if a number like a capex budget per unit or something like that doesn't make sense to you you can ask a question about it but use your own logic i mean you're at the end of the day you're gonna bear the benefit or the cost of your decision more than anybody else so you know ultimately i think the at the individual investor level kind of the buck stops with us right and and we should walk away if something like the math doesn't make sense i've and I took go to the math errors. I've seen them blow up in a higher profile manner that I'm I i do not want to get into. And I've caught them from other syndicators. And sometimes the ones I caught were not huge, but there was enough just seeing that is enough for me to say, okay, I'm I'm done because
1: not comfortable. Where are the
0: other problems? Where are the other mistakes? I'm not going to dig through this enough to find them. Right. But again, that's that feeling of FOMO, right? Really try not to feel it. And if you Bear that in mind, I think that helps make fewer mistakes or, or kind of helps you when you find that the CapEx budget doesn't make sense. It'll help you say, no problem, moving on.
1: Yep. So is it, is it fair to say to folks listening, don't go invest into a syndication until you get a warm fuzzy?
0: Potentially. I, I think this, again, gets to the individual investor level is that we all have different bars of warm and fuzzy. I'm at the point now where I get pretty warm and fuzzy with the deals that I invest in, and I don't invest in everything I see for sure, but I feel my opinion is that my warm and fuzzy is pretty well calibrated at this point and also pretty heavily data driven If you're brand new, think about how is your warm and fuzzy calibrated correctly? Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but you know i I'm I'm not a pushy person in this regard, and I think on the individual investor level, if you're not ready, you're not ready, and and that's okay. There's no harm in continuing to look at deals and, quote, sit on the sidelines, but as long as, in my mind, as long as you're looking at deals and you're evaluating them, then you're not quite sitting on the sidelines. You're still taking action, and you'll most likely step up eventually, or you'll decide, hey, this isn't for me at all, and you won't do it. But in that sense, you know, consider whether your warm and fuzzy is calibrated correctly. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're a little too cautious or maybe you're actually being a little overly trusting, if you will. Maybe you're miscalibrated in the other direction.
1: Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. Well, Taylor, man, this has been a, a super, super fun interview. Where can people learn more about you, reach out to you, invest alongside you if they're interested in doing so?
0: Sure, absolutely. So we already mentioned my podcast, The Passive Wealth Strategy Show, available. You know, we're listening to us right now, I'm sure. Uh, My company, NT Capital, you can find out more at investwithtaylor.com. Or I mentioned the free seven-day video course I put out on red flags in passive real estate investing. That's available at passiverealestatecourse.com.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks again for coming on. really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thank you i be well. Bye. Okay, everyone, that was our episode. A big thank you to Taylor for coming on. Really insightful. Again, I love some of those questions that you can ask syndicators to get an idea of whether or not it makes sense to invest alongside them or with them. As always, if you liked the show or even if you didn't like the show, we'd love to still hear from you. Leave us a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Happy investing.